The dating game killer transports you to a time when serial killers terrorize cities from coast to coast. In the middle of a string of murders, one of these deranged men appeared as a contestant on the popular television show The Dating Game. And he won. How was it that a cold-blooded serial killer made it onto a TV show that millions of people watched and no one could see what he really was? Rodney Alcala was one of the most deadly serial killers in American history. Police believe that he murdered five people, but the real number might be closer to 100. From Wondery, the team that brought you Over My Dead Body and Hollywood and Crime comes The Dating Game Killer, the gruesome story of the most famous serial killer that you've never heard of. You're about to hear a preview of The Dating Game Killer. While you're listening, be sure to subscribe to The Dating Game Killer on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Thank you. And welcome to the dating game. And we'll get right underway. It's time to meet our first three eligible bachelors for game number one. And here they are. On September 18, 1978, millions of TV viewers tuned in to one of America's most popular game shows. In living rooms across the country, people watched as the stage set rotated to reveal the contestants who would vie for a date with the evening's first bachelorette. Good luck, gentlemen. Well, let's see. Bachelor number one is a successful photographer who got his start when his father found him in the dark room at the age of 13, fully developed. <laughs> the lights came up as the camera moved into a tight shot of bachelor number one. He smiled wide at the audience's warm welcome, nodding with self-confidence. His white dress shirt was open halfway down his chest. His long mane of curly dark hair was perfectly quaffed, brushed back and cascading down his shoulders. And it's time to meet a young lady for game number one, and here she is. Here is a young lady with a wealth of experience. Welcome, if you will, sensational Cheryl Bradshaw. Hello, Cheryl. Cheryl Bradshaw strode onto the stage in a sparkly midi dress with puffy sleeves and revealing scoop neck. Her view of the bachelors was blocked by a bend in the flower power-inspired barrier. Host Jim Lang quickly explained the rules. She could ask the contestants whatever she liked, except for their name, age, occupation, or income. Then he introduced the bachelors. Number one, would you say hello to Cheryl, please? We're going to have a great time together, Cheryl. Okay, and here we go. In the style of the show, Cheryl's questions were playful and heavy with sexual innuendo. Bachelor number one was particularly adept at matching her tone in bravado and double entendre. He was comfortable in front of the camera, growling provocatively and commanding her to get over here. He played to the audience and they responded. A bachelor number one. I am serving you for dinner. Oh. <laughs> what are you called and what do you look like? I'm called the banana 
and I look really good. Uh, can you be a little more descriptive? Peel me. <laughs> Backstage before the show began, Bachelor Number One's demeanor had been less engaging. He seemed able to turn the charm on at will, but it vanished as soon as it no longer suited his purposes. As he and the other contestants waited to take their places on stage, he got in the face of one of his rivals. I always get the girl, he snarled, his eyes dark, empty pits. Welcome back to the dating game, and Cheryl, we have reached the moment of truth, as we call it. You've heard from the bachelors, you got some great dramatic presentations, some good answers, but now I'm going to ask you a question. Will that date be bachelor number one, bachelor number two, or bachelor number three? In its 13 years on the air, the dating game had introduced America to many guests who would go on to celebrated careers. Among its alumni were Farrah Fawcett, Burt Reynolds, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Tonight's lucky bachelor would be no exception. Within a year, his name would be known nationwide, though it wouldn't be for landing his own movie contract. Rather, he would be known to law enforcement agencies from Hollywood to New York, and his dating game appearance would become legend. He spots her through the windshield from half a block away. She's carrying books, no doubt on her way to school. As he angles closer to the sidewalk, he can see her lips moving in an improvised little tune. When the light changes to red, he pulls to the curb, leans across the front seat. He knows how he needs to sound, practices modulating his voice for every occasion. He will be the adult, authoritative yet non-threatening the kind of person her parents have taught her to obey. He rolls down the window and smiles as she looks over at him. He motions for her to come closer. He offers her a ride to school as if it's the most natural thing, a daily routine. She tells him she's not supposed to talk to strangers and continues on her way. He inches the car forward alongside her. Doesn't she recognize him, he asks? She looks back at him and he scrunches his shoulders as if slightly dejected she doesn't remember him. He tells her he's friends with her parents. When he senses her uncertainty, he knows to back off just the right amount. Pull, don't push. Touch, don't grab. She stops and leans toward the window. He tells her he's a picture he wants to show her. Her parents have seen it already and said she'd really like it. Where is it, she asks. He smiles again and reaches for the door handle, knowing he's almost there. Get in, he says, making it as casual as possible. He can show it to her on the way to school. This is the critical moment. He knows. The slightest off-note reaction from him will scare her away. She looks at him, and he widens his eyes in a welcoming signal. She opens the door and slides into the passenger seat. Even with her in the car, he knows it's only the first step. She can jump out at any moment. So he needs to keep monitoring his every expression and gesture. His voice soft. He asks her about school. It's okay, she tells him. He turns off sunset and the traffic is lighter. She's distracted now, looking out the window. When they turn on to DeLong Prey in West Hollywood, she says it's not the right way to school. 
He tells her he has to stop off somewhere for just a minute. When he pulls over in front of the apartment complex, she looks around at the unfamiliar street. He smiles again. He knows how critical the next few seconds are. They're 50 feet from his door. She seems concerned now. It'll only be a minute, he assures her, promising to get her to school on time. 